and take your Bibles and open them up to Luke and then turn to John 18. John 18 is where we'll be tonight. Do you guys remember our last Good Friday service we had last year? Remember the Good Friday service we had last year? We weren't here in the building. You guys were in your own buildings watching online. And I'll remind you how it went. We had filmed that earlier week at Troy Hart's house. And we filmed the Good Friday service. And I remember it because it was about 42 degrees out during the filming. And it took a total of six, maybe eight hours from setup to filming to tear down and driving home. And I remember I was in my car driving past Dairy Queen. Troy lives out past Toledo. And as I was driving past Dairy Queen, I was lamenting to the Lord at what had just happened. As I was driving, I said, Lord, what in the world was that? What did I teach? What did I even say? And I remember I was just thinking to myself, my brain was frozen. I'd been out in the cold all day. And, and this is a true story. I said to the Lord, well, I don't remember what I said. I didn't share any cool stories. I didn't have any funny jokes. And, and I said this. Lord, all I did was share your story. And I sensed the Lord in my own heart say, do you think my story's enough? And I instantly repented. Say, yes, your story's enough. Your story. Not my story, not my jokes, my illustrations or applications, but your story. And then a couple days later, I was sitting at my house watching the Good Friday service. And as I heard the story from the scriptures come alive in my own heart, I began to be encouraged. And so my goal tonight is to do the same, which is to simply teach the Bible simply and let God's word be enough for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. It says, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The lights are low. I can't really see anybody tonight. But have you been weary or discouraged in your souls in 2021 or 2020 at all? Anybody out there? I was talking to some good friends of mine over here on my right that are up here from Florence. And they've been watching every single service this past year. And this is the first time they've been back in a year. And I just sat there looking at him and thinking, man, what a kooky year it's been. What a difficult time we've had. And as I began to think that through, have you become weary and discouraged in your souls? And I can only speak for myself at any given time. And the answer is, yeah, man, it's been nuts, downright nuts. And yet I began to then rejoice and say, you know what's cool as Christians is that when it gets nuts, when it gets crazy, when we get shook, when we get wook, as we've been learning in the book of Revelation a couple months ago, we know that God is doing a deeper work in us, that God has plans for us, that nothing that is formed against us shall prosper. And while all people suffer, Christians suffer with a purpose and with an incentive and with resources. And I wish I could prophesy here tonight and say, you know what, 2021 is going to be the best year ever. <laughs> but I'm not a politician. I got to tell the truth. <laughs> that shouldn't be that funny. <laughs> It's not going to get any easier. Take your Bibles now and turn to John 18. 
It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him and knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And then Jesus, having, Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Stop right there. Eyes up here. John 18 comes after John 17. If you're a note taker, write that down. It's one way to stay on track. And in John 13, I'll read it to you. It says it this way so simply. This is the beginning of the Passover night. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John 13 leads to John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, and then John 18. And in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you see the very heart of God, the very nature of God displayed illustrated and seen in the person of Jesus Christ as he washed his disciples' feet, as he shared with them, as he taught them, as he led them, as he prayed for them. And now here's the kicker. In verse 18, where we just started chapter one, of chapter 18, verse one, it says, and when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. This is where Jesus now demonstrates his love and shows his love. It's easy to say, I love you, is it not? Actions are louder than words. You can tell your kids, your spouse, your friends that you love them and it will encourage them. But you can show your love to your kids, to your spouse and your friends and it will change them. And Jesus here stood up now and he went over the brook Kidron and he began to lead them. Not away not to hiding. He began to lead them to where he would be arrested in the Garden Gethsemane, knowing full well that his betrayer had already set up his betrayal, that the purchase of his price had already been put upon his pocket when Jesus washed Judas' feet. And now Jesus demonstrates his love. You ever remember that song, Jesus Loves Me? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells us so. It says he loves us. I couldn't finish that last course. I was going to start crying. Thanks for holding me up with that. We used to sing that song to my daughter, Acacia, trying to put her to bed, but we learned early on it would make her cry too. It wasn't the best song. It was so weird. Every time we started singing it, to they start crying. You know. Jesus loves us. And yet love is seen, it's evidence, it's a verb, it's an action, it's, it's shown. And it says here in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. If you know the geography of Israel, the brook Kidron flows right between the Mount of Olives up on the east of Jerusalem. 
and below the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And so if you come out of the eastern gate of Jerusalem and walk down through the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives where Jesus would lead them, there was this valley that would go through Jerusalem and it was a canal of sorts. During this time, running from the temple out of the eastern gate through this canal, the brook Kidron would be water that was murky. As a matter of fact, Kidron literally means murky or black. And the reason I say that is because the water was murky and black because of the blood of the lambs that flowed from the temple on that night. Did you know that when people would come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover, there was a requirement of one lamb per 10 people in attendance. Each, each family had to have at least one lamb. Josephus tells us that 200,000 lambs per year on average were sacrificed in the temple during the Passover celebration. Can you imagine 200,000 lambs dying in one day? Is that a lot of blood or a little blood? That's a lot of blood. Matter of fact, the Jewish traditions are so unique, they can't count people. It's one of their things that they're not allowed to do. And so instead of counting people, they would count sheep to see how many people would possibly be there. As a matter of fact, in a good Jewish family today, if you're at a family reunion, you're going to play some games and you're numbering off your one, your two, your three. Instead of numbering, they'll say you're not one, you're not two, you're not three, not four. They'll, they'll make sure we don't count anybody because they got in trouble one time for counting. And yet my point is, 200,000 lambs. And here's Jesus walking over the Kidron Valley, knowing that he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That blood would picture, that blood would imply, that blood would remind him this is his fate as well. Verse one goes on to say that there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Verse two says, and Judas who betrayed him also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Stop right there, eyes up here. This garden of Gethsemane was where Jesus would go to often with his disciples for prayer, isolation, solitude. And here during a time of duress, a time of trial, a time of trouble, Jesus goes to the place where he'd gone before. It's a garden, a place of prayer, intercession, seeking the Lord. Here's my quick question for you. What do you do in times of trial, trouble, difficulty? Do you have a garden? Do you have a place? Do you have somewhere where you go to? I would encourage you to make that place known. So that way when people are looking for you, when you're under trials and duress, just like Judas knew where to go, he knew where Jesus was. It says, verse three, then Judas having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Oh my. A detachment of troops could either mean 200 soldiers, 600 soldiers, or 1,200 soldiers, okay? That's a lot of soldiers. And here comes Judas with all of these guys and torches and lanterns and weapons. This, to me, tells me that Judas had mistaken Jesus in his nature in two ways. Number one, who he is, the meek and mild servant. Can you imagine Jesus? We'll see Jesus kind of be in control of the situation. He's like, wow. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, really? Bunch of soldiers, lanterns and torches? What did you think I was going to be hiding? And he underestimated and misrepresented Jesus in his nature, the gentle servant, the sacrificial lamb. But not only did he underestimate his nature, but he also underestimated his power. Can you imagine bringing 200 soldiers to take Jesus out? Like, how many would you bring? 200, 600, 1,200? What would you choose, you know? I don't know, maybe a billion. 
I mean, for real, this is Jesus Christ, like the creator of heaven and earth. He's been healing people and raising people from the dead. And, and oh, well, let's take 600. Let's make sure we get this guy. Like, what are you thinking, Judas? And I just want to put that out there for you and me who sometimes limit God. Sometimes we don't understand the nature of God. And we underestimate, we think, man, I don't know, man, I'm in a situation again. It's going to be too tough. And I wish, wish I had some resources. Well, <laughs> do you know the Lord? The, the one who spoke and created the heaven and earth? The one who died and didn't stay dead, who beat death. Sometimes I walk around like Chicken Little and afraid of everything. And yet these verses in this story are recorded that we might not make these mistakes. It says in verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? John 13, Jesus began the washing of the feet of the disciples, knowing all things, understanding where this was going, being fully in control of the situation and the circumstances. And here Jesus, seeing this cohort, this detachment of troops, goes forward and says, who are you guys looking for? I say that to say this. My family and I watched The Passion of the Christ on Wednesday. It's free on Amazon, streaming. And before we hit play, my kids are 13 and 11 and nine, and they've never seen a rated R movie up until now. And so we say, guys, this is rated R. Like, what's that? I was like, well, it means restricted. I don't know what it really means, but. It was said it's very, very violent. And we give you permission not to watch. If it's too violent, you can cover your face with your blanket or look away. You don't have to watch it. And I said, we wouldn't normally show you a movie of such violence if it were a Marvel movie or some other Rambo movie. It's just violent. We wouldn't do that. But here's the deal. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus subjected himself to the treatment that he was going to undergo. And before we began the movie, I turned to Isaiah 53. And I read this to my kids. I said, guys, you got to understand this. You must understand this moving forward. You must know our Savior and his love for us. That what he went through, what he endured, he knew wasn't a surprise to him. Peter would try and defend him. The disciples would try and hide him and coerce him to go another route. Jesus knew from the beginning of the foundation of the world what it would take to get to the cross, to the crown, in order to have the kingdom, in order to have us be with him. And 800 years before Jesus was pinned to the tree, it says this. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before us as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that he should be desired. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Yet he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. My wife and I talked before we 
decided to let our kids watch The Passion of the Christ. Do you guys see The Passion of the Christ? You seen this? It's not one of those movies you make popcorn for. If you do, that's fine, but we didn't. I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out and my wife and I lived in Ashland and we put it on our calendar and it was quite a big deal. It was the highest grossing movie of all time when it was released. Broke every record. A Christian about Jesus Christ. And I remember standing in line there at Tinseltown with a bunch of other believers and curious folks and we're all just looking at each other like we were about to go into the doctor's office. Like we were going on a tour of duty and there was no popcorn being bought, no sodas. Just a bunch of napkins for crying. And I remember going through and watching that movie in the theater. It's one of those movies you almost got to, man, am I ready for this? Do I want to watch this again? Do I really want to expose myself? (sighs) See, Jesus knew what it would cost. He knew what it would take. That backdrop, that foundation, that understanding, knowing that Jesus came to suffer and to die, to give himself a ransom for many, It will change the way you serve your Savior, the way you love your Savior, the way you respond to his words, not just what he said, but what he did. Jesus, it says in verse four, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, verse five, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. This is the second time John mentioned that Judas is with him. Judas, the betrayer. John's so funny when he writes his gospel, he never mentions himself. He mentions himself, but he never gives his name. And he's always making sure people get named. Peter, you know, he mentions his name and Judas his name. And he's kind of a funny little apostle. Remember when him and Peter got to the tomb, you know, they got to the tomb. He's like, I got there first. Not that big a deal. I just want in case anybody wonders who the faster one is. He wants us to understand that Judas was a betrayer. Yet he's gonna detail Peter's mistakes in just a few minutes. Peter wasn't necessarily a betrayer as much as he was a struggler. One who wasn't perfect. One who had low days. And yet here's the deal. Jesus died for both of those men. Jesus gave the opportunity for either of those men to be saved. And yet when Jesus got to this scene, he says, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And I'll point your attention to verse five, where it says, I am. And then he in my Bible is in italics. Is your Bible in italics? Anybody have he in italics? When the translators wrote this portion of the scripture, they added the word he. He didn't say he made more sense in an English kind of, I, I am he. No one says I am unless, unless you did. Let's just read it without the he. They answered and said, Jesus of Nazareth, verse five, and Jesus said to them, I am. This is the Passover meal. This was celebrating what had happened thousands of years earlier in Egypt. And thousands of years earlier in Egypt, in Exodus chapter three, Moses is on a walk looking for some lost sheep and he comes to a bush that's on fire and that is burning. 
And as he talks with God and is called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses panics at one point. He says, well, who should I tell him (laughs) sent me? And God says, you tell him I am that I am sent you. I am. I am sent you. And here Jesus now, thousands of years later, when asked, where's Jesus Christ? He says, I am. This would be something that a a Jewish person would never say. Ego. Ami. Ego. Ami. I am. Unless, of course, you are the lamb that was sent by God to be slain for the sins of the world. As a matter of fact, this is so powerful. Look what happens next, verse six. Now, when he had said this to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. And then he said to them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Stop right there, eyes up here. You guys just see the scene here? Who are you guys looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And the whole group of them, 200, 600, 1,200, I don't know how many there, they all fall down on the ground. Jesus gives them a few minutes, they get up. Oh, the heck, bro? You all right? You good? We all fall down. Why do we all fall down? Jesus is standing there. And he asks them again, who are you guys looking for? They're like, uh, you tell them this time, Bill, you know? <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, and he says it again, I am. What is going on? Like, what in the world is going on? Wouldn't that be quitting day for you if you're one of those soldiers? You're like, I'm gonna go work at 7-Eleven. I'm not doing this anymore. This is bad news. And yet here's what Jesus is doing. I need you to see the point because it's just, it's theatrically kind of cool. It's drama. Look what Jesus does. Verse eight. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. What's Jesus doing here? Just showing his power, flexing. What he's doing is he's diverting all of the attention, listen, onto himself. In order that he can protect those who are his in order that this saying might be fulfilled, I lost none of these that are mine. Did you know that Jesus will go, has gone to, and is going to go to great lengths that none of us would fall away from him? That he will go to great lengths to defend you, to fight for you, to go to bat for you? You can take this to the bank. He will knock down all soldiers, all things that are formed against you in order that you might walk in victory and prosper. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna have a battle. That doesn't mean it's not gonna be difficult. Jesus did this, listen, in order that it might be fulfilled that none of those who are his would be lost. Is that good news for you? You guys ever feel like you're just lost? No, no, raise your hand, that's weird. But have you guys feel like you're lost ever? You ever feel like you're just like, what am I doing, dude? I'm just such a bummer. Man, I'm trying to walk with the Lord. I'm just such a nobody. What am I? Listen, the Lord knows you. He sees you. He has a plan for you. He's using you. He will fight for you and he will never lose you. People argue with me from time to time or at least ask questions. They call it arguing. I just talk now. I believe in once saved, always saved. 
I believe that if you give your life to Jesus Christ and you are born again, you are regenerated, that your spirit is saved. I believe that you are saved until the day that you are ushered into heaven. That what the Father has put into his hands, no man shall pluck out. That doesn't mean you won't go backwards a little bit here or there or have some of the low days or low moments. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if your spirit is born again, a work of the spirit, the spirit will not undo that work which he has already done in you. He will fight for you. And maybe you're at home watching online, wish you were closer to the Lord than you are. Or maybe you're here right now and you've had some, ah, bummer days. Jesus did this that it might be fulfilled which was spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Verse 10, then Simon. Don't you just love Simon? Now up until this point, his name's Peter. He was born Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. Simon meant shifting sand, kind of shady, unstable. And Jesus changed his name to Peter, which meant little rock. And yet here in this scene, John, when writing this, says, we're just going to call him Simon for this moment. <laughs> then Simon, I've got that circled. Then, anytime it says, then, you're just expecting this with Peter, man. Jesus is doing stuff, saving the world, man, making things happen. Then Simon, let's just read it so you know what I'm talking about here. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, and he cut off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given to me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this event. Only John tells us the name of the soldier that had his ear cut off. Only John tells us that it was Peter who did it. The other disciples say a disciple cut his ear off. John was the last writer to pen a gospel. And most believe that things had calmed down in Jerusalem and when he penned his gospel, he could actually use names without incriminating Peter. Peter wouldn't get crucified for this and get arrested. Most people believe also, and there's no historical evidence for this other than the miracle that Jesus performed on Malchus, that Malchus became a believer. And so when the New Testament church would read this and they would say his name was Malchus, they would look and say, oh, Malchus, are you kidding me? Talk about getting saved in a radical way. You guys have a radical testimony where just, man, just gnarly, where the Lord had to intervene. You guys know the story. It doesn't sh show us here, but Luke tells us. Luke's a doctor. Luke says that Jesus grabbed the ear and put it back upon his head and healed him. Luke would have been impressed with this. He's a physician. You know, I'm not sure if he was a surgeon or not, but he would have been impressed. And as he mentions this man by name, I, I believe you, I don't, we don't know. But do you just imagine with me that he got saved, that the Lord would just be whispering to Malchus, lend me your ear. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you thinking? Malchus. Anyways. This miracle would be the final miracle that Jesus would perform. It depends on how you look at the crucifixion and Jesus being able to utter seven sayings on the cross and 
what was miraculous in nature. This was the final miracle, though, until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his glorified body that Jesus Christ performed. And it was a miracle of healing a man, listen, who'd been hurt by the sword of one of the apostles. And I would make some simple observations. Jesus rebuked Peter. Peter, what are you? No, Pete, man, put your sword away. That's not how we do it. Sorry about that, Malchus. Let me fix that for you, you know? Jesus comes along and And I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in the history of the church that a lot of well-meaning Christians take their sword and inflict pain upon non-believers and attackers and accusers. Have you done this before? Have you, man, have you, have you been so right you actually became wrong? You ever won an argument and lost a friend? I have. What does Jesus do? He says, hey, hey, I love Malchus. I love everybody. And I hope you're growing in this, in your Christianity, in your desire to see people saved. I just love this. Then Simon Peter. Simon Peter had so many mistakes. Matter of fact, we're gonna finish the chapter. I'm gonna move a little quicker here in just a second. And Peter's gonna make more mistakes. This mistake, though, I would say, I'll go to Peter's bat for just a minute. This was an honest mistake. I mean, put yourself in Pete's sandals for a second. Judas shows up. Pete's like, what? Dude, I never liked that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I told you. I told you. See, you know, freaking out and this Romans. And Peter had already promised to Jesus earlier that night. He's like, bro, I promise I'm going to go to jail with you. I'll die for you, man. I'll do anything for you. And Peter, you know, he snuck his sword into the, into the garden, you know. During the holy holidays, you wouldn't have weapons on you. It's kind of a rule. And Pete's like, whatever, dude. I got my concealed weapons permit, you know. And I'm going to take this guy out. Pete meant well. He really did. And I'm just going to say this simply. That as you and I make mistakes in our lives, failures of biblical proportion, can you imagine your failures being written in the scriptures for all to learn from? Man, Facebook's bad enough. This would be crazy. And yet God can't steer a parked car. He can't steer a parked car. When you try things, when you step out, when you do your best, and God's right there to clean up the mess. Okay, his grace is sufficient for your needs. Maybe you're here tonight or you're watching and you've tried some Bible study. You tried a life group, man, and it got weird. Or you tried doing that or you tried discipling your kids or you tried Sunday school and that kid kicked you in the shin so hard. You're never going back, you know. Man, get back in there. Get back in there. It says, then the detachment of the troops and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him. And they led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. And when Jesus, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, 
But Peter stood at the door outside, and then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And then the servant girl who the door at the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. I've got are you circled. Just that question, are you? Are you one of his disciples? Are you one of his disciples? What a radical question. And what a radical question for you to answer, to ask tonight, and to ask and answer tomorrow, and to ask and answer every day. Are you? Are you? As a matter of fact, as I look around at the people here tonight, I'm just, I was praying with Pastor Ryan, our, our worship pastor in the green room, and I said, you know what's cool about our Good Friday service? Is that most of the people who choose to go to church on Friday night, they already love Jesus. <laughs> We don't have to convince them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Sundays at South Beach, you know? You guys are already in it doing it. Are you not? Are, are you? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. What the heck? Man, look at Peter, though. Come on, Pete. He said, I am not. The disciple that was with him was not named. We know it's John. John knew the high priest. John knew the girl working there. John got him in through the secret door. And I wonder if John overheard Peter. What? <laughs> Pete. And be a little more bold. You ever taken your Jesus, his real t-shirt, and turned it inside out? Just like, ah, you know. <laughs> Just got to calm down a little bit here. I'm in the wrong crowd. I've never, done, I've never done that. Now the servants and the officers, verse 18, who made a fire of coals, stood there for it was cold. And they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and he warmed himself. This is the Bible. There's not a lot of room for extra details. It's limited. And yet John, listen, John's writing this and he's like, guys, it was crazy. First Peter walks in, it was weird, man. It's just the weirdest thing. This girl asks him, and he like, he says no. <laughs> it was whack. And then I was hanging out, just looking around, looking for Jesus, and next thing I know, Pete's not even by me anymore. Pete's hanging out over there by the bonfire with the soldiers and the other bad guys. And John, dozens of years later, when he writes this, says, guys, it was, it was messed up. It was messed up. Peter stood with them, and he warmed himself. Now, before it gets even worse, verse 19 says, the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered and said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Asked those who've heard me and said to them, indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? It's interesting. If you reread what Jesus said, they asked him, hey, well, tell, tell us about yourself. What's going on here? Who are you? What are you teaching? What are you all about? And Jesus just, are you for real? Dude, I've not hidden any of my doctrines. I have taught everything loud and proud. Like the Jesus is real billboards are everywhere, okay? This is not a secret deal. 
Why don't you ask some of the people out there? Ask people. Ask. And as Jesus is having this conversation with them, and I would say it and apply it this way, what the scriptures teach is not a mystery. You know what I'm saying? There's some hard things to understand in the scriptures. But theology 101 is there is a God, okay, and you're not him. Just write that down. Like, you're a theologian now. Like, you're a master student. Like, you could be a Sunday school teacher, like, tomorrow. Like, there's a God, but I'm not him. You're not him. And, and, and Jesus is saying, what, what's, what, what did you miss? Did you miss something? Here, here's the deal. Listen, please. They didn't miss anything. They just didn't like the message. I'm going to say that one more time. They didn't miss anything. It's just that they didn't like the message. I tell people that there is no reason to reject the message of God except for hardness of heart and a stiffness of neck. People say this, here's the argument. Well, if there was just some evidence, just some evidence, just prove it to me. People say that, scientific evidence, they're looking for evidence in the scripture. I would believe if there was evidence, it's like, nah, are, you, are you for real? There is evidence enough. Do you know that the historical documents available for study by way of historicity are more voluminous than any of the other first century, second century, third century, and ancient artifacts that we have in the Smithsonian or any sort of historical museum? There are more documents based on the historicity and the value systems of those ancient documents about the Bible and what the Bible says to be true and eyewitnesses and accounts and historians and secular historians that say, yeah, it actually happened just that way. Well, I need some evidence. No, you know, and I mock and I'm, and I'm sorry. But Jesus stood before these guys. He says, what, what part didn't you, what part didn't you understand? Was it really mysterious? These guys don't, they knew everything that Jesus had ever said, that Jesus had ever claimed. Listen, and they just didn't like it. And I'm gonna say this to you and say this to me, in your flesh, in your sinful carnal nature, you too don't like it. You need the Lord to soften your heart. You need the Lord to drop the scales off of your eyes like he did the Apostle Paul. This is a miraculous event when the Lord saves you when he breaks you. As we are starting the service out, we played that video and I watched it three times today. And I watched it again with you guys. And every time I watch it, I cry. Because it's so powerful that Jesus Christ gave himself over to this world, that he desired to have a relationship with us. And yet sin that we chose to do, chose to act and separated us from him, and yet it didn't stop there. Jesus came down to this world and he who knew no sin became sin that you and I might have fellowship with him. And as I think about this rescue, my heart is softened. And yet the evidence, the message doesn't change for one group or another. There's no softening of it. Instead, there's an accepting of what Jesus said to do. And yet these people at this time responded in this way. And I would encourage you who are here tonight, who are watching at home, to soften your heart towards the things of God. To not be like Pete, who in verse 25, it says, now Simon Peter, he stood and he warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, 
I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Stop right there, Isaiah. That's kind of funny. I mean, word spreads fast. This guy's like, wait, didn't you cut my cousin Malchus's ear off earlier? Pete's like, no, no, bro, no. No, I saw the Facebook video, man. It was you, you know. <laughs> Thing went viral before you could tell, you know. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Verse 26, Peter, verse 27, then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. Luke's account tells us that when the rooster crowed, that immediately Jesus was, as it says here, then they led Jesus to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to the praetorium. That at that very moment, Jesus was already bound, was already being let out. Peter's messing around at the fires he shouldn't be around. He's getting warmed by things that he shouldn't be warming himself with. He's interacting with people he shouldn't be interacting with. He's letting his guard down. He's doing all these foolish things while Jesus is enduring the shame and the punishment of his own sins. And the Bible says at that very moment in Luke's gospel that Jesus is being led now to the praetorium. And it says that the eyes of Peter and Jesus meet. Now just imagine, it'd be about from me to the back door there where Kevin and Ariel are sitting and standing. And Peter would see and look and there would be Jesus whose face was swollen from punches, bloodied from sticks. And the Bible says that Jesus beheld him. In the Greek, it literally means he caught him with his eyes. Peter's denied the Lord not once, not twice, but thrice. I've had some low days. I've done some things that are embarrassing. And yet this is on record, and here's Peter being caught by Jesus. You ever been caught red-handed? You ever get one of those telephoto tickets in the mail? Shows you going through the red light, and you're, you know? <laughs> Come on, yellow, oh, you know. That's not me, it's like, it's obviously you. Usually when we're caught red-handed, there's guilt, there's shame. In the Greek where it says Jesus beheld him, it literally means a term of love. A net caught Peter. You who know the story, Peter ran out and he wept bitterly that night. He knew what he had done. He knew what his savior was facing the pain, the depth, and the rooster crowed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jesus had told him. Jesus had warned him. Jesus had prepared him. And Peter, man, he was prideful, and he pushed back and said, Never, not so, Lord. I'm going to walk with you to the cross, you know. Matter of fact, history. The Bible says that the accuser of the brethren accuses us day and night. History says that where Peter would walk the rest of his life, his haters, his critics, would see him and would often heckle him by saying, Can you imagine that? I actually can. Because I know the voice of the enemy. You ever get reminded of the things you've done wrong? Your embarrassing shortcomings? And yet here's the cool thing about a rooster crowing. Jesus warned him. Jesus made provision for his problems, for his situations. 
The rooster would be crowing, oh, he failed, but the rooster also signifies what else? A new day is dawning. Can you imagine? What, Jesus could have chosen any sort of barnyard animal. You're going to deny me three times, but not till you hear the camel do whatever camels do. <laughs> I don't know. During the high holy days, it would be illegal to have farm animals in the temple courtyard, in this area. There wouldn't even, this, this chicken, man, this chicken. This was a special chicken. It shouldn't even been there. And yet Jesus said, man, you're going to see this, this chicken. Is it a chicken or a rooster? The, the thing, the crow, the thing, the rooster. And yet Jesus chose this rooster to show his sovereignty even over Peter's failure. Because Jesus didn't just say that you're going to deny me three times, but he said that when you are restored, when you come back, when you come back, Pete, when you come back, I want you to strengthen the brethren. When Jesus would rise from the dead in three days on Easter, and I'm going to be closing with these thoughts. When Jesus would rise from the dead on Easter morning, he would specifically seek out Peter. When he met the women at the tomb, he said, go tell the apostles and Peter. Please tell Peter. Of all the apostles in their low days and in their difficult times, Peter was the worst off. And Jesus said, just tell Peter right away. And when Peter heard that the tomb was empty, that possibly there's a miracle happened, something, 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 him and John ran to the tomb. The Bible says John was smaller and younger and more wiry and obviously was a fit individual. Peter was historically a big, gruff fisherman. And John got to the tomb first and stood on the outside. But when Peter got there, he ran right inside. He needed to know, is, this, is, it, is it true? Jesus would also pursue Peter on that Eastern morning. Jesus would go to such great lengths that he would pursue Peter on the Galilean Sea and he would prepare for him breakfast and he would commission Peter. Peter was trying to quit, trying to walk away. Peter had done things that were embarrassing, that were haunting him, the rooster crowing every single day for the rest of his life. And Jesus said, I'm not done, Pete. If you have fallen down, if you have been hurt, if you have made mistakes, you're the very candidate that God wants to put back together again and use for his glory and for others' good as you deny yourself and trust him in all things. Jesus knowing all these things, he knows you, he knows me. And he beholds us and he sees us. Peter would be so empowered that on the very first day that the Holy Spirit was given, he would preach a sermon and thousands of men and women would be saved. His second sermon, thousands of men and women would be saved. 10 years into the church, Peter would preach a sermon at Cornelius' house and all the Gentiles in the world would have opportunity to be saved. Peter would write 1 Peter and 2 Peter and billions of people would be blessed by his words and by his story. And here's what I want to say to you in closing. Why is this a good Friday? Because no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on tomorrow, 
because of Jesus Christ, there's a promise of a new day. Have you ever found yourself at the end of a long week or a long day just thankful that the day ends? (laughs) Is not the end of the day a grace in and of itself at times? I mean, you are young, like, what are you talking about? You are old, you get it. Like, I just can't wait for this day to be over. Ah! Can't speed it up. Can't slow it down. It's God's sovereign gift of grace and mercy. He's fully in control. He has a plan for your life, a plan for our lives. And even as Peter would walk with Jesus after this and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, his life wouldn't be perfect, nor is your life perfect, nor is my life perfect. I often tell people that none of us are perfect, but we who are Christians are perfectly forgiven. And I want to encourage you on this Saturday and tomorrow. Spend some time with the Lord. The time that they spent praying, agonizing, contemplating, different than the way we will spend tomorrow. My wife went to Fred Myers. Got a turkey for us tomorrow. My first thought was, we're gonna be taking naps. We're gonna have a good day tomorrow at the house. Turkey, all this stuff, we're just gonna, the Frechette Five hanging out. And then Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, we're gonna have three services here for the first time in over a year. Nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, one o'clock. And we're gonna baptize people right here. To celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And yet, I would encourage you as individuals, not just a collective body. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. But the Lord is doing things in your life a deep work, a deeper work. They thought it was the end, they thought there was nothing more to come. This was the worst news ever. A year ago, churches all over the world shut down. The worst news ever. There's still bad news every single day, is there not? Don't be distracted by all the chaos, all the situations around, out of our control. Instead, now's the time to shine. Now's the time to press in. Matter of fact, as Peter tried to run away, he did good things. He said, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And that night, in John 22, John 21, as Peter was fishing all night, how was the fishing that night? How how many fish did he catch? What's the Greek for nada? Zilch? Is that Greek? Zitch. Zilch. Zero. Zip. Zitch. It's a new word. And then Jesus showed up. He said, how's it going? <laughs> Man, what a rude question. What a rude... Jesus Christ on the beach making fish and chips calls out to Pete and the boys, how's it go? <laughs> going <laughs> out there. 
And Peter looks around and is like, yeah, not good, bro. Whatever, man. And then Jesus so kindly says, try, try the other side. Now, you guys know a little bit about fish. Like, when there's water, there are no sides. The fish don't know sides. And yet, Peter knew, wait, wait, wait. Remember that one time Jesus said that and we did it? Let's try it. And they try the right side. And there's so much success, so much fish, that their nets began to break. They couldn't even, oh, what? And here's my encouragement to you in 2021, Good Friday weekend, Easter weekend, the beginning of April. In those areas where you've been fishing, where things haven't been working, where things, you can be honest and say, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's not working. Whatever. Lord, what would you have me to do different? Lord, would you give me your voice, just a clear word? Lord, would you provide for me what I, what I don't have, what I lack? And listen, most importantly, Lord, would you commission me to do your work? So I was praying with Pastor Ryan, reminding ourselves that this is the church, the, fr the Good Friday crowd, that your hearts are beating for the Lord, that you want to please him. And I would say this, if you're at home watching or you're here and you're like, you know, I don't, I am a mess. My heart isn't beating for the Lord. I am like Pete, warming myself by the fires of this world. I am like Pete, denying him in various ways. Aren't you a Christian? Depends eh. who's asking. Maybe you would say tonight, okay, enough is enough. Lord, take me. Show me. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and in prayer, we're gonna ask the Lord to reveal to us those areas in our life that he would have us to let go, to walk differently with him moving forward. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for your love for us. Lord, for your heart. And in Jesus' name, would you speak to us right now and show us, Lord, the sons and daughters, the men and women that are here right now, those purposes you have for our lives. Would you just listen for his voice for a minute? The purpose he has for you. And I'll be the first to repent and say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? warming myself by fires, Lord, doing things that aren't part of your plan for my life. Would you help us to hear your voice, to cast our nets on the right side, to trust you in all things, Lord. Bless us this weekend. Set us free even tonight, Lord. All the young people here as they leave, as the old people, younger, less young people, as we leave, Lord, and go to our places, Lord, would you bless us and have your mercy upon us. Thank you for all you've done and all you're doing. We commit our lives to you, Lord. Would you use us however you see fit? And if you're here tonight or you're at home and, and you need a special touch by the Lord, maybe you need to be saved. Tonight's the night for you. Would you just right now raise up your hand if you need a special touch or you need to be saved, you need to be forgiven of sins. You're, you're in a place where you ought not to be. You need some sort of help from the Lord. Would you raise up your hand right now by faith? I'm not looking. It's between you and him. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him tonight on Good Friday. 
Lord, would you minister powerfully to those who raise their hand, who need you, Lord, you lead us and guide us. Forgive us, Lord, help us to press into the things of God. You can put your hands down. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Prepare us for this Easter, Lord. May many people rejoice. May many people be baptized. May many people be saved. And Lord, may you use our lives for your glory and for others' good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.